Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our positional ranking series, and today we're going to talk about our top 10 Western Conference centers. So, Jalen, who are your top 10 Western Conference centers? All right, so at number 10, I have Mark Gasol now of the Los Angeles Lakers. At number nine, I have Christian Wood now of the Houston Rockets. At number eight, I have Evika Zubak of the Los Angeles Clippers. At number seven, I have Yusuf Nurkic of the Portland Trailblazers. At number six, I have Jonas Valanciunas of the Memphis Grizzlies. At number five, I have Steven Adams, now of the New Orleans Pelicans. At number four, I have DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns. At number three, I have Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. At number two, I have Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And at number one, I have Nikola Jokic from the Denver Nuggets. Number 10, I have Mark Gasol of the Los Angeles Lakers. Number 9, I have Al Horford of the now Oklahoma City Thunder. Number 8, I have Hassan Whiteside of the Sacramento Kings. Number 7, I have Jonas Valanciunas of the Memphis Grizzlies. Number 6, I have DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns. Number 5, I have Stephen Adams of the now New Orleans Pelicans. Number 4, I have Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. Number three, I have Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Number two, I have Yusuf Nurkic of the Portland Trailblazers. And number one, I have Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. Now, Ryan, we usually start at the lower tier and work our way up, but we, we, we got to start where the pot is hottest. What in the world has you believing that Yusuf Nurkic is a better center than Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert when Yusuf Nurkic and Jonas Valanciunas could arguably be the exact same person. To defend Yusuf Nurkic, I understand he played eight games last year and he was out with injury for most of the season. You could also say that he, when he played, he was not putting up better numbers than Carl Anthony Towns. And yes, statistically, Carl Anthony Towns had great numbers. He was averaging 26.5 points a game, shot close to 51% from the field, and almost 11 rebounds. Those are great numbers. But what it all boiled down to was his ability to show up when it mattered most last season. And when it mattered most was the eight games that he played in which it helped Portland get out of missing the playoffs and – catapulting them into the playoffs. If you think about Yusuf Nurkic, how much of an asset he was. Jalen, he put up 22-21 and 21 against the Memphis Grizzlies in the game that secured, that secured the playoff spot for Portland to face the Los Angeles Lakers. And yes, he's battled injuries. But when he's healthy, I could argue he's a top five center in the Western Conference. And I know... Carl Anthony Towns of Rudy Gobert also belong in that conversation. 
statistically, yes, Carl Anthony Towns is one of the best centers in the league. But Yusuf Nurkic, what he did in the playoffs and what he did in the eight games that he played in, even though he was out for most of the season, I believe that based off what I saw, he was one of the best centers in the league. Okay, so I I, I kind of get where you're going. I feel like you're kind of leaning on the what have you done for me lately uh, track, and I, I guess that's fine. It's a recency bias kind of take, but here's my thing, man. First of all, I don't even think Yusuf Nurkic is a top five center in the conference. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think he's a double-double machine. I think he's extremely dangerous when he's healthy. But, like, you're reading out offensive stats for an offensive-style center on a flamethrower offensive-style team. Like, this is a team that wants to try to score 140-plus a night if it can. Like, it's actually ridiculous. Um, so having a, a a large offensive output on a team that focuses on increasing possessions, shooting the three ball at a high clip, and you know trying to score as efficiently as possible while doing so as quickly as possible, I think that kind of skews things a tad. Now I will say, from a rebounding standpoint, he's arguably the best rebounder in the entire conference. I think I think that's I think that's easy to say is that between him. And Valachunas, I think you could argue that they're the two best rebounders in the entire conference. But offensive skill set wise, he doesn't stretch the floor like Carl Anthony Towns. Defensively, Gobert mans a top five defense, uh, defensive team for Utah every single year. And he's been in the defensive player of the year conversation pretty much over the last half a decade and has won it you know, once or twice as well. So is Nurkic's offensive upside more valuable than Gobert's defense for Utah? I don't believe so. Is Nurkic's offensive output more valuable than Carl Anthony Towns's offensive output? I don't believe so. I don't believe that Nurkic being a 20 and 10 guy influences whether or not the Portland Trailblazers lose. Whether or not Dame Lillard is a 25 and 6 guy matters more to Portland's ability to win games than Nurkic being a 20 and 10 guy. So that's kind of my discrepancy there is just that Nurkic in his role specifically is kind of a cherry on top for a team that's very guard centric that likes to shoot the three ball at a high clip and has a lot of guys who can do said skill in terms of shooting the three um, efficiently and from very long range. I think Nurkic is just the cherry on top in terms of being a guy as an inside presence that rebounds well, scores well around the rim, is aggressive on boards in terms of getting offensive rebounds and doing kickouts and stuff like that. So I think that Nurkic, I think being the cherry on top doesn't make you a better player than two guys who both might not have stronger outputs than you when quote-unquote the lights are brightest but because they don't or be or or when they do it influences the ability for the team to win more than what Nurkic has because I feel like Nurkic doesn't have the same kind of imprint that these two guys have in terms of their overall team let me point out something that you mentioned you called Nurkic the cherry on top of this Portland offense 
I don't consider him that. I don't think there really is a guy who can put the cherry on top of this offense. I mean, you have solid players like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony on your team. Yusuf Nurkic is pretty much the third option on this team. You could argue that Carmelo is the third option. I think Nurkic is just the third option. He doesn't do anything that's, that stands out to you the most. Like Carl Anthony Towns is one of the most dominant post players in the league. But if you think about the way that Nurkic was able to hold his own against top centers in the league, Anthony Davis for four games or Anthony Davis for five games. I think you could argue that he's really one of the reasons that kept Portland in the series for the most part. He's really one of the reasons that kept Portland in the playoffs. I think that this is a Portland team that battled a lot of injuries last season. Like Dame was out for a couple games. CJ was out. Nurkic was out. Zach Collins was out. Rodney Hood didn't play for most of the season. You could argue that this team should not have been in the playoff picture to begin with. But when they finally got to the bubble is when the potential of this team really showed. Because Damian Lillard proved that he is one of the top five point guards in the league. CJ McCollum proved that he can make the big shot when it matters most. But if you think about the defensive anchor that Nurkic is to this Portland team that doesn't have a lot of defenders. Now they just grabbed Robert Covington, but this Portland team is not a defensive minded team. This is an offensive minded team with a lot of shooters. Nurkic is the defensive anchor that holds this team together. And when you pair him with a guy like Robert Covington, that's another front court duo that I don't think any team in the league would want to mess with. So if I'm, Hearing you correctly, your biggest argument is just the fact that he actually is a better overall two-way center as opposed to these guys who are actually polar opposites. I would say Carl Anthony Towns is elite offensively, but pretty much his turnstile on the defensive end. And Gobert is a rim-running big who, you know, makes his bread and butter on the defensive end as a defensive anchor, but you're not going to ask him to go get 20 a night and expect him to do it because you don't think he can do it consistently. Nurkic is a guy who you think that can get anywhere between 15 and 20 points per game, get his double-digit rebounds, and still be somebody in the paint that's going to at least try to contest shots and stuff of that nature. That's kind of where we're getting with this. If that's the case, I think that's I think that's a really strong argument. That's something that you'd really have to kind of go back and look at the tape and really lean on. Um I think it's dangerous to call a guy uh, like Nurkic a, a shutdown center. I think it's a little dangerous to float out there just because, you know, it, it sounds very Andre Iguodala-esque. He didn't shut down LeBron James just like Nurkic didn't shut down Anthony Davis through a five-game series. But I will argue that Nurkic is a pretty high-level center um, on the defensive end. I don't know, man. You you might have me kind of swaying a little bit. I don't know if I can put Nurkic as high as two, though. That's a, that's a little that's a little bit of a reach for me, being a guy who put him um a lot lower. I mean, I had him at I had him at seven. So, I mean, it, it's gonna be hard for me to move him all the way up to to that position. But I think that does put you in a really good light in terms of arguing him above guys like Adams and Aiton 
who I have him underneath. And I think that's where your argument actually might have me a little swayed where you can maybe move Nurkic maybe to five on my list instead of seven, which is a two-spot two jump, which is pretty good considering the circumstance. So I think you kind of held your own on that one considering the circumstance. Um, for, for audio listeners, my face kind of scrunched up towards the very beginning of Ryan's list where he had a, a two-part, you know, interesting duo at um, eight and nine in Hassan Whiteside and Al Horford. And when I heard those names, I can't lie, I couldn't help but feel my face smoosh up because I just don't understand why you would consider them to be top 10 centers when you have a guy like a Vika Zubac for LA, for the LA Clippers team that arguably was one of the reasons why they, why they were easily able to move on from a guy like Montrez Harrell um, in terms of having him as a true center for their team and arguably the guy who probably should have been playing more minutes against the Denver Nuggets because they actually succeeded more when Zubac was on the floor than when uh, Harrell was on the floor. And then a guy like Christian Wood, who is on the uptick, um, had a really great season for Detroit, helped them get paid. And now he's probably going to play staggered minutes next to DeMarcus Cousins and have a guy in on John Wall, as well as potentially James Harden, helping assist the ball to him, which is going to put him in a lot of positions as a stretch five to, you know, score the ball at a relatively good clip. So you got Hassan Whiteside, who clearly Portland did not care very much for in terms of bringing him back and felt as though a guy in Nurkic was simply, uh, you know, a better a better fit at the center spot, believed a lot more in guys like Harry Giles bringing him in, and obviously Zach Collins, who we hope, you know, will have a speedy recovery and be back by mid-January. And then a the guy in Al Horford who – Look, man, I understand that in that Philly system, he looked unplayable because he was right next to Joel Embiid. But we got to be real, man. Horford's on the back end right now. Like, this is a guy who looked nearly unplayable, even in staggered minutes, without Joel Embiid last year. So, I mean, he he pretty much, you know, he pretty much faltered in every statistical category with his best one being three-point shooting as a stretch five. And even that he doesn't do, he didn't do at an elite level the way he did in years past with Boston. So what's up with Whiteside and Horford, bro? What, what, where'd that come from? Before I start with my take, I have Christian Woods, my honorable mention. He did have a breakout season last year with Detroit and I do think that, yes, him going to Houston and pairing with DeMarcus Cousins could make for another underrated frontcourt duo. In terms of Hassan Whiteside, so I think Hassan Whiteside did what he was asked to do, come off the bench and make plays for this Portland team. And considering that Nurkic really held down the center position for Portland, Hassan Whiteside was – the starting center for that second unit. And he was able to make some plays and really keep Portland in some of the games that you kind of felt like there's a chance they might lose this game and maybe fall out of the playoff picture. Hassan Whiteside was a guy that could step up when guys like Zach Collins weren't healthy and he got some consistent minutes and he showed up in those consistent minutes. He averaged 15 and a half a game, almost 14 rebounds a game, 
He shot 62% from the field and 57% from three. So there's that versatility on the offensive side where, where he can shoot threes and then play defense as well, just being able to be a dominant shot-blocking center. In terms of how Al Horford, yes, I understand that, that he was coming off of a, a year in Philly where he looked out of place. He didn't look like he belonged on that Philly team. And I understand he's on the back end of his career. But he's on an Oklahoma City team where he's taking over the center position when they just lost Steven Adams. So I kind of feel like he's going to have a better year. Maybe that's, that's just me projecting over a guy like Avika Zubak. But I think the veteran presence of a guy like Al Horford could be beneficial to this young Oklahoma City team that really doesn't have a lot of veteran leadership. This is clearly Shea Gilgis-Alexander's team. But I feel like having a guy like Al Horford, not only as your starting center, but as an experienced player, could be beneficial in the long run. I mean, to kind of break those two things apart, I, with, with Hassan Whiteside, like, I, I kind of understand that. But essentially, your, your argument for Hassan Whiteside was that he was a great relief pitcher for, for Nurkic. And, like, I don't know if that's a top 10 center in the Western Conference. I, I agree that he's a relatively good player on both sides of the ball. And I, I think I see what the theme of your list is here is that you are rewarding guys who play both sides of the rock. You, you, that's clear. Um, you're, you're making sure that you take into account your impact overall on the floor. And I think that's respectable. I think that's commendable. Um, but at the same time, I think this is a guy who, I mean, he's easily picked on in pick and rolls. We saw that saw that against one of the best pick and roll specialists in Steph Curry um, during the preseason. Um, Whiteside is a guy who doesn't really impact winning at all, really. I mean, like you said beforehand, he kind of came in as a, a as somewhat of a relief pitcher for Nurkic during his time out. Um, I think any production at the center position is great production when we're talking about the Portland Trailblazers who don't really need help at that spot considering the out, the offensive output that they have in the backcourt and even small forward going into this season. With Al Horford, look, dude, I maybe this might be me projecting, but I do not believe that Al Horford is going to play heavy minutes for this team. I think this is a team that's going to try to heavily develop some of the guys that they got that I think we both are really proud of their draft class that they had Theo Maladon and Alexi Pokusevsky. I think those are going to be two players, two real players for their team. I think Lugans Dort sees a lot more of the floor. I think Darius Baisley sees a lot more minutes. Obviously Shea is going to head things. I think Hamadou, if he can finally start getting at least a mid mid range game, we're talking about a guy who could ascend into at least bare minimum a poor man's DeMar DeRozan, which for an Oklahoma City team that you could say didn't necessarily need a guy like Hamadou Diallo, it was kind of just another one of Oklahoma City's typical athlete picks. Hamadou Diallo as an athlete pick that develops an, uh, develops a mid-range game is a high upside player for an OKC team that's just looking for guys to develop. I, I don't think George Hill lasts long on this team either, if you want my personal opinion. So I think that 
with that being the case, I don't think Al Horford's going to see enough of the floor to quote unquote prove that he's a top 10 center in the Western conference. Shoot by the, by, by the trade deadline, he might not be in the Western conference for all we know, because I genuinely believe that he's a guy that they acquired as a way to move contracts around. And I mean, that was kind of apparent based on some of the moves that we saw in terms of acquiring draft picks, obviously moving on from a guy like, um, moving on from uh, guys like Russ and Chris Paul in the past. Um, Chris Paul specifically in this, in this juncture, moving on from him, sending, um, sending him to Phoenix and this, that, and the third. Um, it was a series of transactions that kind of helped Hal Horford end up on OKC. This was kind of OKC's collateral for moving on from a all-star level point guard was that you had to take on a big contract somewhere in the mix. Hal Horford happened to be that guy. Um, so I don't think he even plays much on this team. I, I get the veteran presence part of it, but we're not giving out top 10 center lists, taking in account how good of a Boy Scout leader you are. Like we're taking into account your play on the floor. And if, if, if he's not going to be on the floor much, he can't really be a top 10 center in his conference. So um, I don't, I don't hate the picks, right? Um, because I understand, again, I want to preface all of this by saying, I think I understand the, the, the goal of your list is to target, especially at the center position, guys who can do more than just rim run or just shoot. Like you don't want them to just be a stretch big or a guy who can dunk the ball anytime you lob it up to him. You want them to be a well-rounded center. And I understand that, but I think that Whiteside and Horford are two guys that need to show us something as the lead centers on a team before I can put them back into the top 10. I think they're both top 10 bound in the conference, but Whiteside is a guy who, like I said beforehand, was pretty much coming up as a backup. So this will be our first time seeing him as the lead center since being on Miami, where he didn't perform relatively well the last two or three seasons of his career there. And Horford, who the last taste of we're doing recency bias, gave us a bad taste in our mouth to basically end his season off with Philly. And you could argue that they had a lot to do with playing next to Joel Embiid, but he didn't perform very well when their minutes were staggered either. So he's a guy who has to kind of prove it before I feel like we can put him that high. So you think Horford will be gone by the trade deadline? I think he's a guy that actually sticks around and they actually get rid of a guy like maybe George Hill or Trevor Ariza. I think Horford is going to get some consistent minutes. You don't think that he's going to get a lot of consistent minutes. I think that he could be a factor somewhat in this offense. I don't think he is going to be the second option. Could most likely be the third option. The third option could most likely be Darius Basley. Could most likely be Hamadou Diallo. I think the second option could end up being Lucan Storm. But I think that... Horford and Pokusevsky, I believe, are going to split minutes. I do think Horford may get slightly more minutes in the beginning, but I think the minute advantage, so to say, would end up going to Pokusevsky based on Oklahoma City wanting to develop the younger talent. And I think that's where – I think I see that's where you're coming from. And I'm kind of starting to see where you're coming from in terms of your list because you want to see the winning impact, not the overall impact. I look at – Ivica Zubak, and yes, he does help on the winning side, and he may have um, his play may have been influenced on Los Angeles not wanting to re-sign Montrez Harrell. But think about what we're saying here: we are comparing Ivica Zubak to the reigning Sixth Man of the Year, 
And yes, he may not have performed well in some of the games going into the bubble. And yes, there may have been some chemistry issues. But Montrezl Harrell's been a top five power forward in the league for the past couple of years. And he's been an underrated player. He's one of the best defenders. And his ability to defend not only in the post, but pretty much anywhere on the floor is one of the strongest aspects of his game. So it's a stretch to say I want Ivica Zubak over Montrez Harrell, but if, if Los Angeles believes that Ivica Zubak is as good of a player as we think he is, then I want them to kind of sell me on that idea because you just lost Montrez Harrell, the reigning sixth man of the year, to the other Los Angeles team. So I think that's the other thing that I kind of want to see. And then you mentioned Hassan Whiteside. I agree that he is this is this is the first time that he's going to get some strong minutes as a starting center again. It's the first time you mentioned he's a, he's going to be a starting center for the first time since Miami. But I'm expecting the same thing that he did in Portland. The way Hassan Whiteside performed in Portland coming off the bench, it gives me the idea that maybe he can be a center again and I think going to Portland may have unlocked some of that hidden potential that he's had throughout his career. I do think that he is a double, double machine. Like most of these centers on most of the centers on our list, but something about him going to Sacramento, maybe he has some potential that is going to be unlocked. But again, we're talking about Sacramento where we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, the offensive scheme can be kind of questionable and the coaching there may hold some players back. So I think that Hassan Whiteside could end up being a huge factor in this Sacramento offense. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of close out, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, my list is more so shown uh, signs that I lean heavily on the impact on winning. Ryan, we both understand that similar to how people try to make arguments related to the running back position in the NFL being phased out, one could also argue that similar um, circumstances are being held towards centers in the NBA. Um, they're a dime a dozen. You can get anybody to rim run, catch lobs, dunk. Um, and versatility is something that's extremely important. I think that at a position that people are starting to slowly undervalue, your impact on winning has to be that much more important because they're already seeing you as a um, as an undermined asset, you're already in a position where you're playing from behind because you're considered the least important position on the floor in a league that once upon a time once put big men on the pedestal. So I think now as because you can get so many dime a dozen rim running centers or athletic defensive centers or even overall skilled offensive big men, I think the impact on winning is kind of the, 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 I hate to use this analogy again, but the cherry on top for a team because of the fact that they're, they, they're not looking for that position to be the overall stamp. Now, certain teams like maybe um, certain teams, for example, like Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns, yes. Nikola Jokic, yes. But Rudy Gobert is not asked to be you know, the best player on the on his team. DeAndre DeAndre Ayton is it? Stephen Adams is it? Valentinus Nurkis, Zubas Wood, 
Gasol. I mean, just in the Western Conference alone with the guys that we have on our list, there's only two guys that are truly asked to be the best player on their team. Beyond that, every other person that we named is probably what? Third, fourth, potentially fifth on the pecking order on their team. So that just goes to tell you what their overall value is offensively or defensively. And that's why I kind of think that the, the impact on winning is huge. But I do agree with you that overall game is important. And I think that should factor in when we're talking about individuality when doing rankings. But I think at center specifically, you just, you just kind of need something else beyond just being a great offensive center or a great defensive center. It has to be your impact on winning basketball. Now, you could argue that Carl Anthony Towns does not necessarily do that, but he's a guy who sways winning or losing for Minnesota specifically. So that would just kind of be my my end point in terms of how I constructed my list. I did the same thing for the Eastern Conference, which we're also going to do. Um, you know, I, I just believe that it's a, the center position is the most interesting because it's the one where individual statistics, I think, aren't the full story. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe can make the biggest leap in their career as a center? Carl Anthony Towns or Yusuf Nurkic? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.